All right, if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We have a pew Bible for you, page 952. Um, it might be helpful because I'm going to refer to passages before and after. But if you don't feel like opening the Bible, that's all right. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin. Um, today we're continuing on in our sermon series titled New. God in Christ makes people new. And today's sermon is titled, A New Mind. Paul says that those who now live by Christ have the mind of Christ. But what does that mean? Uh, How do we appropriate that? How is it experienced in our lives? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 16. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that... Your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And those things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except a a spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord who has instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, We must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. Um, Oh, how we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to reveal to us truths about you. We pray that your spirit dwelling in us would enliven our minds and our hearts to know you and to love you and to chase after you in the things you've called us to do, we pray. Amen. So... Next Sunday is my birthday. And, yeah, you know, it's not a big accomplishment. It just seems to happen every year, right? Um, 
And, you know, normally, you know, I don't, you know, toot my own horn, but there's something I want for my birthday, and I think it's a little pricey for Leslie to handle on her own. It might require some pooling of resources. Are you, are you familiar with the Marvel comics? Uh, are you, they made movies. Are the, 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 uh, you familiar with Iron Man? Oh, great movies. Um, don't laugh, but I want an Iron Man suit. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Wouldn't that be like the most amazing thing you could possess? In fact, doesn't it kind of actually possess you, right? You, you, you give a voice command and out of nowhere it lands on your lap and it, and it puts itself on you. I can fly to New York City. I got a meeting there tomorrow. It would be really nice. 12 seconds I'd get there. On my days off, I could even fight the war on terror. Just think how much fun it would be, guys, to take out the trash. No, honey, I got it. No, no, I don't mind. No problem, you know. And the computer in it is like smarter than all the computers at the NSA. I wouldn't listen into your phone calls. But here's what I'm thinking. Perhaps it could like write my sermons for me. <laughs> wow. All right, where was I? Oh, yeah, my birthday... And it's probably not going to happen. Maybe there's something else. Just maybe. All right, let's get back to our text. Actually, there is. Paul is saying that he has something that he uh, and other believers have something that that we can have as well. The, The last verse, we read this. But we have the mind of Christ. Think about that. Oh, to have the mind of Christ. You possess it, but then again, it kind of possesses you. It alone can lead you into goodness and glory that God alone can give. In this sorrowful and broken world, a world in which, let's be honest, you and I still have thoughts we know we shouldn't have, thoughts that do not honor God, nor do they lead to actions that honor God. In this world, to have the mind of Christ is truly a great blessing to be cherished above all things. Do you believe that? Paul says that when you appropriate the mind of Christ, your life takes on a new, rare form of wisdom. Wisdom from above, wisdom from God. In verse 7, Paul speaks of a secret and hidden wisdom from God. We'll dig into that in a little bit. But this is a, a wisdom, understand, wisdom not only changes how you think, but it changes how you behave. There's a lot of people who know the right thing, right, who have intellectual knowledge, but don't actually act upon it. See, the problem with the church in Corinth is that, I mean, they are so messed up. Uh, Some of the ladies are going through the 1 Corinthians. You've gone through a lot of it. They believe in Christ, okay? Paul calls them brothers, right? And yet they are living lives that are so un-Christ-like. Some of you know what that's like. There are huge rivalries and divisions within the church. They idolize one leader over and against another. They prized outward showy rhetoric over humble truths. They were morally depraved. They were glorying in sex outside of marriage. They were derelict of duty with regards to financial giving. They were elevating certain spiritual gifts to the top of the heap. Their worship service looked like a circus. 
People came to get drunk or to eat all the food to their full. And on top of it, many ridiculed Paul. Paul, the weak and trembling so-called apostle. Paul, who could not speak with eloquence like these traveling rhetoricians. But Paul diagnosed their problem. What was it? It was a maturity problem. If your Bibles are open, you can see in the very next chapter, he begins by rebuking them in chapter 3. He cannot address them as mature Christians. He calls them spiritual infants. And as infants, he must feed them them spiritual milk, baby formula of the gospel, instead of solid food. They are immature and they need to grow. Now, I think I can say this, but this is a message for us too. None of us here is so mature as a Christian that we can ignore Paul's words. But more than that, to those here that God is maturing by his grace, Paul's words are to be received as a welcome encouragement in our lives. The world we live in is hard. Like the Corinthians, there is so much bling around us of worldly temptations that that we can get sucked into living just like the unbelieving world around us. Can we not? We can use the grace that we have from God as an excuse to keep on living immature lives. And so what is the hope that Paul presents us in his words? The hope is that we would have the mind of Christ in order that we would live eternally meaningful lives in the present. Lives of glory that point to the glory that is to come. And so this is the big point here. We need the mind of Christ to live a Christ-honoring life in a sin-stained world. We need it desperately. That's what we're going to look at. And in doing so, we're going to look at three areas. We're going to look at what it is, that is, the mind of Christ, why we need it, and how we get it. So, what it is. Now, is Paul saying that when you become a Christian, like God takes, he opens up your head, and he takes your, like, brain out, and then, you know, takes Jesus' brain and the mind of Christ and just drops it in? Is that what he's saying? I, I wish that was true. Trust me, I do. Um, But if that were the case, there would be no such thing as Christian counseling. (laughs) Uh, If if that were true, we would all of us would walk around in perfect love and obedience. We would overflow with compassion and commitment to justice. There would be no such thing, think about it, as as hypocritical Christians if God did that. You know, um, I used to play a car racing video game, and, and what you do is in the game is you start off with this like really slow, cheap clunker, like a little old hoopty, you know, it's like barely even dry, you know, spitting smoke out the back. And what you're supposed to do is win a few races, win some prize money, and then over time, you save it up, and you're able to buy a new car. And what you do, though, is, is uh, you, gotta, you have a garage, and so you have to put your old clunker car into the garage, and then you get into the new fast little race car, and then you, I don't know, you cruise around until 3 a.m. Uh, making all kinds of cool uh, passes on people. But in the end, um, you, you, what you have to do is you actually got to park your car, get out of it, and get into the new car in order to enjoy it. Some of you are like saying, has he lost his mind? What is he getting at here? Okay, in a very similar way, but like not all that similar. Um, 
Every Christian has a garage, so to speak, and where's the mind of Christ? And we have our minds, and we need to get out of our minds in a good, healthy way and put on the mind of Christ. It's something that, in other words, the mind of Christ is something that you appropriate as a Christian. It's not necessarily always yours all the time. Another thing we must make clear is this. The, the, the mind here is not so much an instrument of thought, but rather a mode of thought. It's a mindset. In other words, the mind of Christ isn't Christ's mind in us, but our minds taking on Jesus' way of seeing things and understanding things and living them out. My friends, the more you mature as a Christian, the more you appropriate for yourself the mind of Christ and live it out. The mind of Christ is available to all who belong to Christ, but not all who belong to Christ appropriate what is theirs for the taking. Paul also helps us to see that the mind of Christ and the wisdom that is there is a work of what? The Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, a little bit earlier, verse 18, if you're in our evangelism workshop, you memorize this verse. Paul says this remarkable statement. Listen, for the word or or the message or the gospel, the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, this very same message is what? The power of God. The message that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins on the cross and to be raised to new life. This is crazy talk to everyone else in the world who is not being saved. Irreligious people. They're offended by the gospel because it says that they're in bad shape before God. They say things like, well, who says there really is a God? Or they'll say things like, if there is a God, then he made me this way, so certainly he cannot judge me for who I am here and now. So how dare you say there's something wrong with me? You're the one who needs help, not me. The gospel is foolishness to the irreligious. But also, the religious are equally offended as well, but for different reasons. See, while they affirm belief in some form of deity, there is a God, and certainly acknowledge that the deity is someone that you have to please in order to get to heaven or do whatever, they erroneously believe that they have within themselves the ability to do all this. (laughs) And so the gospel is foolishness because it says you are dependent upon God's mercy and his grace. And so the religious have no need of God's grace. It's folly to them. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, ultimately, why is it that you believe this message that most of the world has come to see as foolishness? Is it because you're smarter? You might be smarter, but that's not the answer. No, you believe because God powerfully acted upon you by the Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 4 and 5. Paul says, In my speech, in my message, that's Christ and him crucified, were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of what? The spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Before anyone is able to come to faith in Christ, they are incapable of doing it 
on their own. That's what Paul's getting at this natural person in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Well, um, I mean, they're folly for him. He doesn't understand them. He can't even begin to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God in you to be able to understand this foolish message of the gospel. Until God gives a person new birth in the Holy Spirit, he cannot or will not believe. It's impossible for anyone to believe the foolish message of the cross until God acts in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. God gives you a new mind that is capable of now understanding the message of the gospel. I mean, that's what Jesus told Peter earlier. Sally read from Matthew chapter 16. Remember that? Jesus asked his disciples, just who do you think I am? Everybody else is getting me wrong because they're thinking with an earthly human wisdom. But who do you think I am? And Peter steps up and he says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Oh, you're so smart and clever, Peter. Yeah, you're the smartest one out of the bunch. I figured you'd get my identity right first. No, what does he say? He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood, that's the natural man, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God did this work in Peter's life of giving him a mind that can now properly comprehend just who Jesus is. God must give us new minds in order to embrace his wisdom. That's why Jesus said in uh, John chapter 6 twice, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father enables them. That's why Paul said elsewhere, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, my friends, the wisdom of God is folly to this world. And so when you share the gospel with family or friends, we need to take this into account. It means we're to to pray to our Heavenly Father that He would send His Spirit upon those we love and care for who need to hear and understand so they can come to faith. And it also means that we share a foolish message, right? Most of the world is going to reject it. But we're still called to share with as many people as we can. Our part is simply to just declare the message. It's up to God to be the one who, with power of the Spirit, Um, gives new minds to people so they can properly respond. And so when a person comes to faith, God gives that person a new mind, the mind of Christ. And in that moment of first belief, the person truly thinks according to the mind of Christ. The cross is no longer ridiculed or despised. Sin is taken seriously. And the grace of God is received with great joy and delight. Now, the huge problem for Corinth And a problem for many Christians today, especially in America, is that after using the mind of Christ to come to faith, they set it aside in their daily lives. Which leads to our second point, why we need it. We need the mind of Christ so that we can know the wisdom of God. Oh, to know how God thinks. Oh, to know how God plans Oh, to take what God has revealed and actually make sense of it. Oh, to know what God is calling you to do so that you may experience victory in your life today. When Christians appropriate the mind of Christ, they come to know God's secret and hidden wisdom. Who of you wouldn't like that? 
as a pastor, I often hear Christians say, if I only knew what God was up to, right? If I only knew what his plans for me were next week. If, only could, if I could only hear from him. If I only knew God's will for me. Now, I get it. There's times in our lives as Christians when we experience things that, that confound us, and we may never, ever make sense of them, even, even in the age to come. But I am convinced that with the mind of Christ, you can receive wisdom and insight that only God can give you, and he can do that now. As you meditate upon Scripture, as you pray in the Spirit, as you draw near to God, um, that you may understand God draws near to you, and he gives you the mind of Christ. And in receiving it, you're a changed person. No longer an immature Christian who keeps saying, why, 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 why me, you know? Or no longer an immature Christian who's like, all right, forget it, you know? Things aren't working out like I planned. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. A mature Christian is one who trusts God because she's actually heard from God. Now, the Corinthians were about as immature as the church can be. They actually lamented the fact that Paul was one of their leaders. They preferred flashy, gregarious leaders who titillated with lofty speech and worldly wisdom. Paul rebukes them. Verse 1, he says that he purposely didn't use lofty speech and wisdom. In verse 2, he says that he decided to impart nothing amongst the Christians except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul rebukes them by essentially saying, I acted the way I did among you because that was the only way in which the Spirit of God would act upon you. Paul's saying, you now believe this seemingly foolish message because I spoke it plainly and clearly in weakness and God's Spirit came upon you. And it's from this that Paul hammers home how wrong they've been. Beginning in verse 6, did you notice the, um, the wording changed? Paul changed from first person singular to, um, he changed to um, third person. He went from I to we. Why? Paul is saying it's, it's not just me who runs my ministry this way. This is how all the apostles do it. Yeah, the ones you've heard about who've never come to visit you, I have. This is how we all do it. Look at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. The we here isn't Christians in general. He's referring to the apostles who were called by God to lay a foundation of the church. He brings them up again in chapter 15 to remind them uh, that Paul, I am an apostle just like the others, but a little bit different. In verse 10, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. In the original Greek, the words to us are emphatic. In other words, it's like to us through the Holy Spirit. God has revealed secret and hidden wisdom. Verse 12 and 13 help us confirm this. Look at that. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given by God. Right? That, and we impart this, these, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, in, interpreting spiritual truths to those 
who are spiritual. Paul's saying we the apostles have been given the spirit so that we may understand what God has freely given. And God gives us wisdom and insight. Things that before we didn't know, but now we do know. Things about God being, being the Father, about the, the Holy Spirit, about the church, about Christ, about the age to come. And he says, and we impart these spiritual truths to the church. The question is, Paul's mind is, are you mature enough to receive it? We have so much to share with you, but, but are your minds even in the right place to welcome it and to appropriate it into your lives? The answer in Corinth, at least in Paul's time, is no. Paul, Paul's saying, you're, you're not mature enough to sit under our apostolic teaching. <laughs> Remember in chapter 3, right after Paul writes, but we have the mind of Christ, does he say they have the mind of Christ? No, he says, you don't have it. You guys are infants. I, I wish you did. I could talk on a more educated level with you. We could go further down the road. But you're an infant. i got to feed you baby food. And now, understand this. We have a lot of new Christians that come through our church. Um, it's okay to be an infant in Christ, uh, to feed on the spiritual milk. But if 5, 10, 20 years from now, you're still what you need, there's something wrong there. We, too, can succumb to the thinking of this church We must be wary not to sit back on our haunches to feel that we've somehow arrived. Maturity is not a plateau that you reach. Your maturity as a Christian is an ongoing process that will never be finished until Christ returns or until the day you die. So the sooner you and I embrace this truth, the sooner we come to embrace the mind of Christ. And the sooner we embrace the mind of Christ, the sooner we reject living our lives according to the wisdom of this world. Verse 6 and 7, Paul shows the Corinthians just how screwed up their logic is. Look, verse 6, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In other words, you're not mature, but we do this. If you were mature, you could understand. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, which is really the wisdom you're looking for, so uh, good luck. And then he says, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul says that there's a wisdom of this age. It's wisdom that promotes self over others. That's why there's disunity in this church. It's a wisdom that says, eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. That's why people come to church just to get drunk on wine and eat food. It's a wisdom that says, vengeance is mine, right? That's why there's rivalries. It's a wisdom that says, who really cares what I do with my body so long as it feels good and I don't hurt anybody? Paul says that this wisdom is what? It's the wisdom of the world and it's what? Doomed to die, right? But in the same breath, he contrasts the wisdom of death with the wisdom of God. Paul says it's secret and hidden. It was at least until Christ came. It's a wisdom of God that decreed before our time. Before the world was even created, God decreed this. He decreed that his son would die on a cross before he even created a world that would fall. That should blow your mind. And amazingly, Paul writes what? That it's, listen, for our glory. God does this for our glory. What kind of God does that? I don't deserve it. God does it for our glory, though. And the word glory here is eschatological. It's glory that is to come, right? It's, it's the age to come when God's people are no longer surrounded by the wisdom of this world, nor the temptations that come by being surrounded by the wisdom of this world. 
And so the secret wisdom then, which must now be unlocked, is first and foremost what? It's the foolish message of the cross. As a Christian, you will never get away from that message. You don't, you don't advance on to a higher degree of Christianity in which the cross is no longer important. That's what they wanted in Corinth. Yeah, 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 we got Jesus. That's cool. You know? Yeah, we trust him. All right, we believe in him. Going to heaven someday. All right, great. All right, so what's the great, really awesome things that can really change my life? You know, or those kind of, that kind of thinking. The wisdom of God that's been unlocked is verse 2. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Understand this. The Christian is never to think he or she has moved away from this message. In fact, your maturity continually rests upon the foundation of the cross of Christ. And from that foundation comes all our maturity. All the wisdom of God that Paul speaks of builds itself upon Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, the Corinthians wanted to move beyond this foolish message of the cross and and, and live according to the wisdom of the world. And we have that temptation too. But Paul says the Christian never moves beyond this seemingly foolish message of Christ in him crucified. In fact, as you read through 1 Corinthians, you see what Paul does? He addresses all of these dysfunctions, right? Some dude is sleeping with his dad's new mom. What? Okay, Paul addresses that, you know. Um, you know, people are, uh, are living in great sexual immorality. People are, are um, you know, uh, getting into factions and rivalries and saying, ah, I love Paul more than Apollos. Man, you, you, you Apollos guys are screwed, you know. That's what's going on in this church. People don't care about each other. And Paul, Paul does what? Throughout the whole um, letter, he keeps going back to the foolish message. For instance, the church in Corinth stinks with regards to church discipline. And so in chapter 5, Paul does what? Gives them great, eloquent new truths? No, he, he points them back to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And that's the reason for purifying the church and expelling this incestuous man. The church in Corinth was full of all kinds of other sexual immorality. Christians were having sex outside of marriage. They were having adulterous relationships. And Paul's wisdom to the mature was what? The message of the cross. He said this, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Right? He keeps going back to the message. The mature Christian looks to the cross of Christ and finds eternal wisdom to put off sexual immorality. They suffered from disunity. Chapter 8. Paul reminds him how Christ has died for the weaker brothers. Therefore, we're to die to our freedom so that we do not cause others to stumble. Those are just a few examples where Paul keeps going back to the foolish message of the cross in order to mature this church. Mature Christians realize that the cross has something to say about every area of our lives. Do you need to forgive someone? Well, yeah, there's good worldly advice for that, but first and foremost, do what? Look to the cross. Are you stingy? Look to the cross. Are you anxious about your future? Are you depressed? Look to the cross. God will meet you there. See, the mind of Christ always begins by taking you back to the old, simple, seemingly foolish message. And so with this, Paul is making this really big, important point. 
you Corinthians, you think it's okay to receive Christ and receive the wisdom of this age that led to his very crucifixion? You can think you could do both? Do you really think that the wisdom of this world which killed Christ could ever complete you? It's a question we must ask ourselves. How can we, having welcomed the wisdom of the cross, how can we now live with minds that are wrapped around finding happiness according to the wisdom of this world? How can we, with access to the mind of Christ, disregard living out the mind of Christ? I'm not saying that just to you. I'm saying that to me, too. How can we still welcome bitterness into our hearts? How can we still judge other people? How can we still put up walls of separation? How can we still cling to our assets and our income? How can we still hope in vacations now that we have the mind of Christ? How can we still wake up thinking about what we want to do and then spend the rest of the day either trying to do what we want to do or complaining because we weren't able to do what we want to do. And then when we go to bed at night, we start dreaming about what we can do tomorrow. <laughs> that was all one sentence. Um, this is how those who live according to the wisdom of this world lives. This is how they live. But not those with the mind of Christ. Oh, how we need the mind of Christ so that we can embrace the wisdom of the cross in every situation of our lives. Thankfully, God gives us the mind of Christ to do just that. Leads us to our last point. We're going to move quickly here. How do we get it? I guess it depends on on where you're at this morning. If you're here this morning and you still haven't trusted in Christ, that is, you, you, you... You've been looking at the cross and you think it's kind of foolishness. Either I don't have a need for it. Who would you say that I need a Savior? Or, or um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, surely if there's a God, I can just do whatever. Um, if you're feeling like you have no need for it, I hope you see what Paul is saying. The wisdom of this world, which, which results in that type of thinking, is doomed to pass away. More than that, that's the very wisdom that crucified Christ in the first place. And he's the Lord of glory. Now, if you see that and you understand that for the first time, right now you can turn in faith to him, trust in him, see the cross in its wisdom, which is God's love towards this fallen and broken world. And it's the only way back to him. God gave his son that we can have new life in him. That's the hope of the gospel. Embrace Christ. And from there on out, you'll have access to this mind of Christ. Now, if the rest of us here, most of us here, professing faith in Christian, in Christ. Question is, how do we come to experience Christ in our everyday lives, this mind of Christ? How do we stop living according to the mindset of the wisdom of this world and, and now live according to the mind of Christ? I think we can kind of tease it out from some things in our passage. See, worldly wisdom and divine wisdom have a blatant difference. Human worldly wisdom... Uh, is related to the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, right? It's like an intellectual wisdom. Divine spiritual wisdom is all about what? Agape, 
which is love. So we have intellectual knowing versus relational knowing. I'm not saying you don't, know, you don't need to know God on an intellectual level, but I'm saying um, the gospel invites you to know God on a relational, loving level. Chapter 8, Paul writes these word, telling words. He says what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Gnosis is intellectual knowing. It puffs you up, makes you prideful, uh, makes you think you don't need any wisdom from God. Agape love, though, is relational knowing. It softens you up. It humbles you, makes you God-dependent, makes you long to, to not just know about God, but to actually know God and be in a relationship with Him. We see the outcome of human gnosis-based wisdom in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The gnosis of this age, the knowledge of this day, Paul says, crucified the Lord of glory. God's very means for restoring people back to himself is rejected as foolish. This world in its wisdom is doomed to, pay, to, to fade away, to pass away. Contrast that with, with verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, it's a loose translation of Isaiah 64, verse 4. This, what he's quoting here is a common phrase in rabbinical circles. It was often used kind of in Jewish teaching, kind of along the idea of, you know, those who love God have no really idea of the glory that's coming, but it's going to be amazing, Right? Our minds cannot even begin to think about what God has planned for those who love him. See, it's those who love him. It's, it's agape, not gnosis. We appropriate the mind of Christ, not primary, primarily through an intellectual pursuit, but through a relational pursuit of God. See, isn't it true? You can, you can like the idea of God. Like the idea, like, like there is a God. I kind of like that idea. You can even like the idea that he's merciful and gracious. That's awesome. I like that. You can like the idea of God without actually loving God and being in a relationship with him. See, there are many who claim to be Christians who like the idea of God. In their minds, gnosis, knowledge is sufficient. So they think of God abstractly. God exists, God forgives me, you know, uh, I guess someday I'll go to heaven, maybe I'll see him, yeah, it might be nice, you know, but I really just want to play with my dog, you know, who died a few years ago. Christian, it's fine and good to process God intellectually, we call that theology, but our theology can never be an end to itself, theology must lead to doxology, Worship. God wants you to know things about him so that you come to him and know him. To draw near, to experience his transforming grace and mercy and love. That's why he gives you a new mind. So you can truly know the deep, dark, the deep things that are in the depths of God that, that are unsearchable by your own human mind. 
and draw near to him and relate to him. Doxology is delighting not just in truth about God, but in God. The mind of Christ has been given you so that you can know God relationally, personally. So with the mind of Christ, we say, I, I don't just like the idea of there being a God. I love God. I don't just understand that God exists. I know him. I belong to him. God is my God. He loves me. I love him. Each and every day I wake longing to draw near, to hear, to walk in ways that please him. It's foolish to do anything else. Why? Because the way of this world, the wisdom of this world is dying. It's what crucified my Savior. Why would I even want to think about living according to the wisdom of this world? And so, as we mature more and more, we pray more and more, God, give me the mind of Christ. And guess what? He does. And so that's what, here's what we're basically called to do this morning. Three things I'm going to end on it and we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. One, we must repudiate the wisdom of this age. See how it led to the crucifixion of our Savior. See how it is doomed to die. See our lives can never be satisfied when we embrace the wisdom of this world. We need to repudiate it. Are you willing to do that? And two, we must marvel at the wisdom of God. That God would not hold our sins against us. That God would do seemingly foolish things like sending his son to live and to die and to rise again for us. And that God would make this his crowning glory. And finally, may we draw near to God in love. May we joyfully delight in the foolish message of the cross. May we ask him to remind us of the glory that he has prepared for us. May we ask him to impart to us wisdom, wisdom that's taught only by the Holy Spirit. Out of love for God and desire to honor our Heavenly Father, may we ask him to give us more and more of what is ours for the asking, the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad we can call you Father, not just God, distant creator. Uh, No, you've drawn near to us. And in your wisdom, you took a foolish message to make it the saving message of the entire universe. May we not think we graduate beyond that. (laughs) Remind us this morning that we need this message of Christ and him crucified to transform every area of our lives our bitterness, our jealousies, our false hopes, all these things. We pray as a church, as one people here this morning, that um, you would give us more and more of the mind of Christ, that we would draw near to you in love and experience a life of fullness for your glory, we pray. Amen.